podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Bible, we got some handsome young men uh, walking down the aisles. You could raise your hand, but if everybody could be standing, uh, make sure you flag one of these guys down. We're going to read from Mark chapter 4. Let's stand together. I got a lot of reading to do today, so I need you to stand with me. Um, this is going to be a lot of reading. Uh, we're going to read 34 verses, and I know like that's probably the most scripture you've read in all of your life, uh, but uh, wow, you guys are sensitive today. You know I'm joking. Maybe. I don't know. Either that was a conviction or what. I don't know. Uh, But I'm going to read 34 verses and we're going to just go through it. And I I know Dave made a comment about it today, but you got to know I'm nervous about preaching 34 verses and I only got about 35 minutes. So let's do this. All right. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seed fell along a path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rock on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil and when the sun rose it was scorching and since it had no root it withered away other seeds fell among thorns and the heat and the thorns grew and choked out and it yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold 60-fold and 100-fold and he said he who has ears let him hear And when he was alone, those around him and the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom, but to those outside of everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand these parables? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. And the ones who they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulations or persecutions arise on the count of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones who sown among thorns. And those are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the things enter into the choke and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed or, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seeds on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. 
The earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God and what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With which such parables he spoke and the word, to, the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One thing that we are trying to do throughout this series is to preach as the book is kind of written, if you will. Um, we, what, one thing that we have a hard time with in this society is because we come from a kind of a post-enlightenment culture where the enlightenment kind of showed that science is how you come to know truth. And because of that, what we think because of science is, is if you break everything down to its kind of uh, cellular matter, the, 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 the lowest common denominator, you can begin to understand something. Now, as much as science has helped us, what it hasn't helped us with is for us to understand the way you get to know someone is not by dissecting their liver and breaking it down and starting to understand just a small part of a person. But the way you get to know someone is by hearing them, by being in relationship with them, by knowing their story. And so when we preach the Bible, a lot of times we think the way we understand it is by dissecting words with inside of it, and then we build from there. And there's good things in understanding words, but what we have to hear here is that this is written as a narrative for us to see what the kingdom of God is like. And this is hard for me to preach because I like preaching word by word. I like going through texts and breaking them down. But what we really need to do here is understand where does this whole section of Scripture fall in the narrative of what we're trying to, uh, of what we're trying to learn about the kingdom of God. One thing we have learned, and hopefully you'll say amen to this just to, to let me know you're here with us. One thing we have learned is that when Jesus comes in announcing the kingdom, we, we see really quickly that the kingdoms of this world um, get frustrated, irritated, and confronted real quickly. Can you say amen to that? Now, if there's anything that we all should know about our relationship with God, when Christ comes into our kind of lives and we're made aware of Him and His kingdom, how many of you all in your kingdoms have been frustrated, irritated, and confronted by the kingdom of God? Amen? And if you haven't, I think you should be worried. Because that means you've fashioned a Jesus that fits into your kingdom. And you've carved a, a Jesus that you want to worship rather than the Jesus that comes in and destroys all the kind of systems and kingdoms of our world and establishes His. One thing that is hard as a parent is when, you, um, when you're raising kids, you're always trying to figure out when and how long do I shield them from the realities of this world. We love to kind of protect them and shield them as long as we can from the painful and hard and crazy troubling things. 
But at some point, and I don't, I'm not presuming I know exactly when that is, at some point, our children have to see and understand the hard realities of the world, right? And, and it becomes difficult because you always want to kind of keep them under your wing and shield them and protect them. And as we approach a text like this, that kind of parental instinct rises up in me. I, I want to parentally, pastorally, shield you from texts like this. Because they're irritating. They're painful. They're troubling. They're confrontive. And if you really start to understand what Jesus is saying, it's upsetting. It pushes against everything that we want to believe and know and what He's trying to show us in this is some very good and important truths, but they they confront us. What we can see all the way through this as Jesus is speaking these parables, does it bother you that He says in this text that the reason He speaks in parables is so that people people who do not understand will not understand? They will not understand because if they could, they would be forgiven. A lot of people think that the reason why Jesus spoke in parables is so everybody could understand. Well, he says in here, the reason I speak in parables is so that they cannot hear and understand. Those who will not hear and harden their hearts, they hear the parables, but they don't understand the things of the kingdom. What he's showing throughout all of this is that he is saying it is God who decides. It is God who chooses. It is God who gives ears to hear. It is God who bears fruit. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation is a work that he has done. And then he looks at a large crowd and in parables, he tells them, Over half of you, maybe even three quarters of you, will not be a part of the kingdom of God. That's brutal. Those are brutal statements. He tells a story excluding and telling most of them will not be a part of it and understand it. Most of them won't hear it. You read through a text like this, and it's frustrating. But here's what we need to do as we approach this text, is prayerfully we will see this. One is this, that the parables that we read here are about the inevitability and the character or the nature of the kingdom of God. These parables, listen, are about the kingdom of God, and they're not about things we are supposed to do. We love to find little practical nuggets of how we can do things to make our lives better. But these parables are Jesus speaking about the nature and the inevitability of what the kingdom will do and how it will advance and the way the kingdom works. You remember when I talked about breaking things down? What we love to do is make the gospel all about the individual. And so we spend a lot of time talking about what Jesus has come to do is to forgive us of sins. Now, listen, I'm not in any way, and I don't think I have to, degrade the fact that what Jesus has done and the work that He has accomplished, He has forgiven us a multitude of sins. This is where you should say amen. Amen? I do not have to degrade or devalue forgiveness. It is a beautiful 
truth of the gospel. So I'm not saying that the gospel is less than forgiveness. What I'm saying is the kingdom of God is far more than just forgiveness. And what he offers here and what he's talking about here is not just individual salvation. He's talking about how the kingdom will come and what the kingdom looks like. Now listen, I can see why many of us would want just someone to forgive us and not to be our king. Because when we talk about forgiveness, we're saying, yeah, I'll do whatever I want and you keep forgiving me. But when we talk about the kingdom, we talk about a king that has rule and reign over our lives. Here's what Tim Keller says the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the power of God in heaven coming into this world to heal and restore every dimension of life. That's powerful. What he's showing is how the kingdom, when it comes and how it works and the aim of the kingdom is to restore and heal every dimension of life. But although that is the the purpose and the aim, and it will accomplish that purpose, church. The kingdom will accomplish this purpose. What Jesus is teaching here after, remember what, uh, what Wayne taught last week as we looked in chapter 3. After all of this rejection and these people who have, um, have hardened hearts and these people who kind of warmly reject Jesus, the family, and he makes these big statements, right after that he goes into these teachings on the kingdom. So here's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to make big statements about 34 verses rather than diving into just smaller sections. So I need you to kind of track with me. Are you with me? Thank you, three of you who are with me this morning. First thing is this. Earthly kingdoms come in with loud, external, immediate impact like a boulder. But it breaks the soil. So imagine this, a big boulder just crushing the earth. And the earth cracks and it makes a big impact and everything moves. It's loud and it's immediate. And it breaks the soil. But the kingdom of God comes with a quiet, internal, long-term growth like a seed. And it transforms the land. What we see is the kingdoms of this world, the the kings, the pharaohs, all the kingdoms of the time. Remember, we're talking to that Mark comes in and confronts Nero as he's persecuting all the... All, this book comes in at a time where Christians are being persecuted, where there's a king who's saying he is God. And this king is, is, is ruling like a boulder. He's trying to crush and dominate and make a loud work and build popularity. But what he says here is the kingdom of God comes like a seed. And you see this illustration used in three of the parables, a seed. So here's what I want us to look at. First is this. The rock is loud, and it shakes the ground, and it draws attention to itself. So the point of a rock crushing the ground is to shake and come in loud, but it wants to draw attention to itself. Why a seed comes in quiet and its work is done in the soil. Quiet, 
and in the soil. The rock does external work. So it's surface work. It, sh- it cracks the surface of the ground, but it's surf- superficial change. The land has its will of the rock opposed upon it, and the land kind of cracks on the outside, and, and, it, and, it's, and, 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 and it's shaken, but it's only superficial. But a seed changes the ground internally and changes it organically. A seed completely changes the whole nature of the land. A rock changes things suddenly. There's immediate, forceful change. A seed does it organically and gradually. We hate the word gradually. We hate the word gradually. We want everything immediately, but the kingdom of God gives this this picture of how it comes in and changes things organically and gradually. The rock breaks the land, comes crushing down on it, and the seed transforms it. The rock superficially changes the land momentarily it's just a momentary change but the seed changes the landscape forever isn't it amazing the way we think about any type of ministry in our world favors the kingdom of the world rather than the kingdom of god whenever we want to do something You know how we call things like church plants, you know? Gives this idea of the kingdom of God getting planted into a neighborhood and the church growing organically over time. Now when we do church plants, we want to come like a rock and just crush the neighborhood and bring tons of people and open a big building. That's how we do church plants. We love ministry that comes in and we just like to make a big splash. I like to call it drive-by ministry. Just come in and shoot our guns and go home. We love to draw attention to ourselves. Nobody likes to just minister on the ground level and get into the community, get into the people's lives. We want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to come in like a boulder. And Jesus says, you're modeling your ministry after the kingdoms of this world. Not the kingdom of God. Why is it that after this exclamation we go amen, but then when we go away, we go back immediately to doing everything like the kingdoms of this world. We want to be more popular than everybody else. We want to make a bigger splash in the world. We want to have better everything. We want to be the biggest and the best. But isn't it amazing that Christianity has always flourished in the margin? never in positions of power. This hurts. This crushes idols. This hurts. Here's what you have to begin to learn 
about the kingdom of God when you start to read all of these parables. And I'm, like I said, I'm not going to be able to hit each one, but hopefully you'll see them. Maybe have to go back and study. The first thing is this, and we'll put it up on the screen so you can write them down because I'm going to have to move quick. First is this. The kingdom has small beginnings but leads to impressive results. Do you see that in the parables? If you do, say amen. Start small. It has small beginnings, but it leads to impressive results. Two is this. The kingdom celebrates cultivation rather than domination. I don't like this one. This is tough. That Jesus is saying His kingdom comes in and cultivates the land, not dominates and crushes. This one, this next one, if I'm honest, is is the most difficult. But the kingdom is about growth. You look at that parable in verse 26 where it says, a man scattered sleeves, he goes to sleep and rises at night and and the seeds sprout and grows and he doesn't know how. (laughs) The earth produces by itself first a blade, then an ear, and a full grain of corn. You, You hear what he's saying here? He's saying a man just goes out and scatters seeds and he just works and he has no clue how the seed grows. He doesn't know. But then a little sprout comes out of the ground and he's like, then it grows and it grows. When I read a text like this, I imagine myself, and I've shared this with you, I, the, looking at my child getting potty trained, going to the bathroom on the toilet, I'm sitting there just going, yeah! I'm celebrating somebody going to the bathroom on a toilet. But what is it I'm really celebrating? Growth. I'm celebrating growth. I'm celebrating that my child has gone from a place of having to have his diaper changed into this new phase of life. I'm celebrating growth. But the reality of the kingdom is this is how the kingdom works. We celebrate growth. But isn't it amazing to us that when we come into the kingdom of God, we don't sign up for growth. We want immediate perfection and immediate growth. And we want to be the smartest and the best. And we want to know all the things. We don't want to grow. Do you want to know what church and the kingdom of God, you want to know what it's like to be in a community, the people who are serving the kingdom? We celebrate different things. We're the ones sitting around a toilet celebrating the growth of someone spiritually. They've learned how to go to the bathroom. Others, what do they celebrate? Budgets. and Big buildings and blah, blah, blah. Growth. The kingdom of God requires patience. Amen? The next thing we see is that the kingdom cannot be hidden. I love this thing because what he says is it starts in secret, but it always grows and cannot be hidden. Here's the nature of the kingdom of God. It cannot be stifled. It's planted like a seed, but it will produce. That's a promise of the kingdom. It will produce. Maybe not fast enough for you. Maybe not in the time frame you want it. But it will produce. It won't be held back. Now when you start seeing these, you can start seeing why I say these things are troubling. If you really wrap your head around it. Because what it gives to us is a picture of how we receive the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God comes through hearing. Now, I want to prove this and kind of show you this. And if you missed it in the text, then we missed everything. Because when you look up at this, this is like an app. You kind of take the whole text and drop it in. And when it breaks everything up, it shows the areas of what are the words that are used the most in the text and it brings it dominant. When you look up on the screen, you see this. Word and hear. Word and hear. Why? Because the kingdom of God comes through hearing. And let me show you where you see this. Verse 3 says, listen. Verse 9 says, those who have ears, let them hear. Verse 12 says, hear, and if you hear and you don't understand. Verse 15 says, if you hear, and then Satan comes and steals. Verse 16 talks about hearing and immediately receiving, and then it's burned up because the sun comes out. Verse 18 says, hearing, and it takes root, and then it's choked out by the cares of the world. Verse 20 says, it's those who hear and accept and bear fruit. Verse 23 says, those God comes to those who hear. Those who listen. Those who pay attention. And this is important for us because we see this all over Scripture. Romans says, faith comes by what? Hearing. I know we say that, but there's movements all over our world that tell us that faith comes by speaking. Say this, say this, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, do all these things, say it, say, say positive things. And if you have the strength to say the right things and believe the right things and you say it, then you have strong faith. The ones who have strong faith are the ones who can talk real good. But Scripture goes completely opposite of that. It's not about how good you are at articulating. It's about you listening. And hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Salvation comes by hearing. We're not going to hear unless there is a preacher who's going to proclaim the word of God. You see, in earthly kingdoms, this is why this is so difficult for us to grab a hold of. In earthly kingdoms, we get power by talking real good. In fact, the most powerful people are the worst listeners. Why? Because they've built their power by being horrible listeners and great talkers. They push around people. They overwhelm their listeners with information. But you know what this shows us? Is that the kingdom of God is known and, and understood and received through listening. 
Why? Why is this so important for us? Because what this parable shows us is that the power of fruit and the power of production and the power of growth and the power to transform and the power to change comes from the seed, not from the soil. The seed is the Word of God and the seed is planted in the heart and nobody knows how it grows and nobody knows when it's going to sprout and nobody knows when it's going to transform but there's this understanding that the power is in the Word. The power is in the seed. And then it gives four kinds of hearers. Spends a lot of time on this one parable that many of us have heard before, but I'm hoping that we'll be able to hear it afresh today. First is this, he explains the hard-hearted hearer. Did you hear that in the parable? That's the one where the seed falls on the ground and the soil is so hard that the birds of the air come and swoop it up and take it away. I wish we could spend a lot of time on this, but basically, these are those who have such a hard heart because they feel like they understand and know everything and the way things work, and the kingdom of God pushes against their systems and understandings, and they've built their whole life, and they won't let that word just sink deep into their hearts because it pushes against everything. These are, if you will, the self-righteous, the intellectual. These are the ones that Wayne described next last week, the calloused hearts who are opposed to the kingdom of God, opposed to the work of Jesus. Those are the ones who the seed falls and it just gets swept away. Then there is the shallow heart. Did you hear that in the parable? The shallow heart is the thin layer of surface and the seed falls and it sprouts up immediately, but there's rocks underneath and hinders its growth and it's, growth and it's burnt up. And the point of this soil is this. The things that this soil really worshipped were the things that they lost in the heat. That's what they really worshipped. Because if they were honest, they found out in the heat that they didn't want a king, they wanted a butler. What they wanted was somebody to ring a bell and make their life better and make everything the way that they wanted to be so that they could be comfortable. And the minute it got hot out and the pressures of this world started to come on it, they had no soil and they went back to what? Comfort. Pleasure. They didn't want a king, they wanted a butler. And then it shows the divided heart. Did you hear that when he talks about the thorns in the soil? This one was interesting because I always thought this one was an unbeliever and I never even questioned that. Somebody who had the seed and then the thorns come and choke the word out. But there's so much uh, commentary on this that kind of pushes different ways. And I think it's, it's extremely interesting because what they say is the seed falls and it actually takes root, which is what it does work underneath the soil. But when it comes up, it's choked out by the cares of this world, the things and the desires of this world, the, the cares of this world. And it doesn't produce fruit. So there's a lot of controversy. Are these people saved? Are they a part of the kingdom of God? Are these the ones who have come into the kingdom of God? 
Because they're, they care more about the things of this world, maybe their identity sexually or their identity at work. They find their identity in other places. Maybe it's in popularity or power or whatever it may be. Are these people saved? And I thought it was super interesting what Tim Keller said. He said, the confusion around this one text that just spoke to me so deeply, the confusion around this one soil on whether they're saved or not is the curse of this soil. They live a life of confusion. They never know if they're a part of the kingdom of God or not. They're constantly doubting their place and standing with God. They're constantly doubting where and who they are. It's interesting that you look at all the other three soils. You see the hard-hearted one. They're just fine being hard-hearted. You see the shallow-hearted one. As soon as everything burns up, they go back to what they really wanted, their comforts. But this divided heart, you look at the good soil and they're producing fruit. But this divided heart is the only one that lives a miserable life. Divided between two things. Then you see this good soil that produces 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Why doesn't it just say they all produce the same? Because once again, God is showing, I determine the harvest. I give the amount of growth. Showing us that we cannot determine how much growth determines whether the kingdom of God is actually taken or not. He's the Lord of the harvest. What's hard about this text is that you start to go into practical mode. This is where, pastorally, i got to refuse to go there with you as much as I want to help you in that. You start going, okay, I hear where he's going. I need to figure out how to get the good soil heart. I need to figure out how to till the soil of my heart and make everything good. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to make my heart right. I need to do this. And you start getting into the mode, how do I become the 30, 60, and 100-fold? And in doing so, we miss the whole emphasis of all of these parables. No soil does work on itself. No soil does work on itself. What they need is a gardener. A soil cannot fix its own ground. What they need is a gardener because it's the gardener's job to fix the soil. What this is showing us is when we really understand faith, when we really understand the kingdom of God, we understand that it is God that does the work. What Jesus does with these parables is levels the playing field that he's showing us. I can save anyone, any soil that's choking out and you're living in confusion and worry. What you need to hear is Matthew 27, 29. That there was a twisted crown of thorns that was put upon his head. That Jesus took the crown of thorns. He took those thorns. He took it upon himself. Those thorns that are choking out, he took them and placed them upon himself, showing us that he was the answer to a thorny soil. If you have rocks beneath the surface that are buried deep within, what you need to hear is that you have a gardener who took those rocks and was buried behind them. 
He died and buried behind those rocks. And He conquered those rocks and rose from the grave. What you need to hear when you understand these parables is you need to hear that we are not the answer, but that the kingdom of God comes and this king is a good gardener and he is going to do the work and he promises not to just plant the seed, but to do the work and produce the fruit and to bring his kingdom to fruition. What do we need? It puts us in an awkward spot, church, because it puts us in a place we're not familiar with. You don't want to be dependent on somebody else to do the work for you. You don't want to listen, you want to talk. Isn't it amazing that much of our prayer time, I need you to show me the things that I do not understand. I need you to reveal to me the areas of my heart in which I need you to come and till the soil of my heart. I'm asking. I don't want to ask. I, it's interesting to me. The other day, my young daughter had to pay for a, um, a, a field trip and she came and immediately wanted to know how she could earn money to go on this field trip. My heart broke, honestly, because I know that I've raised them in a way that they would rather work for the money than depend upon the generosity of their father. And I said, here's what you have to do. you got to trust that your dad's going to pay it. That's hard, man. That's difficult. We want to make it so we could just go, look, I earned this and paid my way. But the reality is he's showing us we got to depend upon the generosity and the goodness of the king to come and till the soil of our hearts. So everything in me wants to give you an action step to do rather than say, listen. Let the gardener go to work. Let's close our eyes. Lord, what we're admitting today is exactly what I need to hear. After the first service, Lord, I prayed with my son to see the tears in his eyes, to realize, I said, what did you learn today? He said, I need Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you. Lord, we cry out together for this reality to be true in us. Thank you for being a good gardener. Thank you for tilling the soil of my heart. Thank you for being patient with me, for 
growing in me. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for transforming my life. Thank you for letting your kingdom be seen through the realities of broken people. God, I got to see your kingdom at work in some of the most broken people as they're being baptized in these waters. They're rejoicing over first steps. What we're admitting right now, God, is what we need is your work, your grace. So we put ourselves in an uncomfortable position for us. Humble. I don't like being humble. So Lord, I humble myself before you. I know that I am dependent. That word scares me, God. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be self-righteous. But today, I thank you for making me aware of how dependent I am upon you. You're my life. You're my breath. You're the food that I need to eat. You're the drink that I need to have. You're the one that sustains every part of me. And as your spirit is working in this room right now, I believe you're revealing to your people areas of their life that they've held on to. And Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would show them that it's time to repent. Repent and believe. Trust in Him. Turn from the wickedness of your heart. Trust Him to till the soil of your heart. Church, let's be patient. The way we're going to respond today is through prayer and worship and communion. The reason why it's important for us is because as you eat this bread, just like you eat every day, if you don't eat after a while, you're going to die. If you don't drink after a while, you're going to die. And when you come and take this body and blood of Christ, what you're admitting is you're the source of my life. If I can't eat and drink of you, I have nothing. dependent upon you so as you take communion remember this is for those who have depended upon Jesus for salvation if you have not trusted in Christ today please abstain from the table but if this is a part of your covenant renewal one in which you come and receive and enjoy then let's remember as they're singing the song let's worship as there's silence or whatever, let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit to work. And I believe that without any practical steps that I can give, I believe the Spirit's going to work in your hearts in ways I never can. Let's pray and respond. Father, I thank you that you are here with us. That you are a good gardener at work in our hearts. And as we respond to your word today, take root till prune we need you Jesus church let's respond by taking communion by prayer and worship
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.